it's amazing how God puts you in a position to be influencers. I think it's weird. This little church in Canton, Georgia, over the years, we've done a lot of things that a lot of churches throughout the country had followed. For example, turning the building into a warming shelter. We get messages all the time from churches wanting to know our procedures for that, our policies for that. We never set out to be influential in that area. It was just something that we saw a need and we did. And it's been funny. This situation right here, us meeting together, it's amazing the influence that we have had because of that. We're probably one of the first churches in the country that is meeting in a calculated way. There's been a lot of churches that have been meeting maybe in a defiant way, in a way of being anti-government. They've kind of been challenging the government to, hey, we're meeting, come arrest us. And, uh, and, and that's their right. I think there's a weird line between separation of church and state, and so I don't fault anybody for that. But when we put out our guidelines and we put out our procedures, I counted this morning, I have sent that to 107 churches across the nation. People asking for our policies, asking how we're going about meeting, because as our country begins to open up, it's funny, nobody wants to be the first. Nobody wants to be the church that meets and something horrible happens. So churches are trying to go through something they never went through before, and they're trying to do everything they can to put policies in place. And so thank you guys for being willing to operate in faith and and in the process us being able to influence so many churches who are watching how we go about doing things. We're launching a new series today actually based on a sermon that I preached a lot, but I've never broken down the sermon into a four or five week series. And we're going to be talking about the dash. If you know anything about me, here's what you know. I love stories. I love to listen to stories. I love to tell stories. My wife asked me all the time, she says, is that a true story? I said, well, it's a parable. Jesus told parables. I love stories. I could sit and listen to the older generation tell stories Forever, I go to a little barber shop here in town every Friday morning to get my beard trimmed up. I'm just anal like that. I'm a, I'm a diva like that. But one of my favorite things in going in there is sitting around, and I'm probably the youngest person in there, and listening to all the old timers tell all the stories about our community, tell all the stories about how Canton used to be, or Cherokee County used to be. And I just love stories. Even advertisers now are realizing the power of telling stories. Instead of selling a product, they're telling you a story, and their product is just part of the story. Stories are just amazing that they hook us, if you will. And the reality is we all have a story. If you know anything else about me, I've shared this with you many, many times. I also have this thing for graveyards. I just think there's something somber about a graveyard, especially a historic graveyard. The one back behind the Cherokee Art Center is probably one of the coolest graveyards I've ever been into. It's so many just beautiful monuments and tombstones. But what's amazing to me about graveyards, it's not the creepy factor that I'm into, it's the stories that are there. When When you look at a tombstone, there's a lot of different things that on a tombstone. It might say father and mother. It might have a little quote from somebody. But no matter what the tombstone is, no matter what the monument is, it has one thing always on it. It has the day the person was born. It has the day they died. And then it has a dash in the middle. Now think about that. The day you were born, the day you die, and a dash in the middle. It's actually quite somber, if you will. Everything that we are, 
everything that we do. It doesn't matter if we live 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 80 years. Man, if you're one of the few that live to be 100 years old, everything we do, the good, the bad, the ugly, gets summed up in a dash. It puts things in perspective, if you will. Like I said, some gravestones have facts and some have Bible verses. But really, at the end of the day, what we are and what we accomplish and what we do boils down simply to the dash. Life is short. You get one shot at this thing called life. The reality is, is there are no do-overs. There is no coming back as something else. You don't get a replay. You simply have the dash that defines who you are and what you did. That puts it in perspective. The Bible says this in James 4.14. It's, it's kind of a sobering verse, if you will. It says, what is your life? Now, I don't know about you, but when I get real introspective and I'm looking at things, I'm thinking to myself, my life is pretty big deal to me. My life is who I am and what I am. But the Bible says, what is your life? You're but a mist. How many of you have ever been around someone who vapes? I, I've, I've talked about this verse forever, and when they, people started vaping, it allowed me to illustrate the sermon or the verse better. You, you're around someone who vapes. They vape, or they suck it in, or they do whatever you do to a vape. I don't really know what the right terminology is. They blow it out, and within about a second, it's gone. The Bible says, what is your life? You're but a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. In the grand scheme of everything, our life simply boils down to a dash. So the question becomes, what are you doing with that dash? Are you operating in fear with that dash? Are you going through the motions with that dash? Are you sleeping through your dash? Are you living in the land of what if with that dash? With the simple dash that you have in your life, the thing that you get one shot at, are you maximizing it for everything it is? Because next to salvation, the greatest gift that God has ever given us is the dash. Somebody say amen. I saw a church the other day, and we were going to try to do this. Me and David were scheming to do this. We even got permission from the governor's office to do this. And we were going to do drive-through church on Easter. But if you remember, there was all the horrible storms coming through. And so we didn't do it. We never even announced it. But I saw the other day a church that was doing drive-in church in Missouri. And instead of being saying amen, because you can't say amen because you're in your car, people were honking their horns. And so the whole time the guy's preaching, horns are going off. And I'm thinking, I would snap. I think I'd be more like, hey, flash your lights at me. Let's, let's quit. Like he's preaching. It's like honk, honk, beep, beep, honk. You can tell who the liberals were and who the conservatives were by their horns. You know what I mean? No, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. But listen, you can tell who the reopened Georgia people were and the keep it closed people were by their horns. You know, no, again, again, if you're tuning in, it's called, it's called a joke. We like to joke around here. It's okay. I, I think more than ever, in our lifetime, there's never been a day and time that I know of 
Some of our older generation might be able to change this for me. But there's probably never been a time in our life where the dash was ever before us. I don't know if there's ever been a time where we appreciate life and the fact that we're not immortal like we do right now. We've been faced with our morality, our mortality in the last four to six weeks. It's on the news every time we flip on the show. We're scared to go out in public without our hands covered and our face covered and a social distancing, and I get all those things, and they're all great practices. But probably more than ever, whether whichever side of the fence you lean on, you've thought about the fact that the possibility exists that you could possibly get a virus that could kill you. And I don't know about you, it has done a lot of self-evaluation for me. I'll be honest with you, I have been in some bad places the last four or six weeks. I've been in some good places. My wife would tell you I'm like living with a roller coaster right now. One moment I'm angry, the next moment I'm God's in control and it's all going to work out and blah. I, I, one minute I'm here, the next minute I'm here. And social media takes me from here down here quick. But I'm trying to get out of that because now it's the overflow of not just affecting me, it's affecting the people around me. My fuse has been a little bit shorter, if you will. You know, don't be amen over there. Six years of marriage, first time I ever heard you say amen. Most of the Baptist churches right here, women ain't allowed to talk. Let's, don't make me put Baptists in between action and church now, okay? I'm kidding, totally kidding. Put your guns away, ladies. Put your guns away. Regardless of where you stand on the virus that's going on in our society, the reality is life has changed at a minimum temporarily in the last few weeks. And I hope you've used that time to evaluate the dash. I hope you've used that to evaluate the time of what actually is important, what's not important, what areas of your life you're settling, what areas of your life that you've been discontent but you've pushed it off to the side. And I hope you realize that you had this amazing thing called the dash, and at the end of your life, the dash is not going to be defined by how much money you made, how many hours you worked, how many toys you have. It's going to boil down, did you make an impact and live the life that you felt you were created to live? Again, no do-overs in this thing called life. I've always been a person who loves freedom. I've always professionally enjoyed freedom. I've never been tied down to a corporate job, nothing wrong with that, just saying for me. I, I've never not been able to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. We come home on a Friday or a Sunday and say, hey, after church, let's head to the beach. Man, we've been able to pack up and head to the beach. It's something I value. It's one of the things that my father instilled in me because he felt like he didn't have a life of freedom. He felt like he was chained down to the life that he had. And he stressed, he said, do what you love. And I've always loved freedom and it's funny, people have come to Christianity and be like, I never knew Gary was so patriotic, and I don't know that I am so patriotic. I'm just a lover of freedom. 
And, and this has been a struggle for me. I love life. I've always been a person who has valued life. I've always wanted to milk life for everything that it is. Even in my darkest days, I've never been a person who wanted to go into a little cocoon and hide. I wanted to go out and chase everything that I can do because I love life. We're starting a new series today. I just thought it was appropriate. I've had this series actually in my journal for about five months now. Didn't know when to bring it out. I thought if there was ever a time for us to evaluate our lives, it would be this time. As we're sheltered in and possibly starting the process of going back to whatever the new normal is, the worst thing you could ever do is go back to normal. Let me rephrase that. No, let me, let me repeat that. In a time of being sheltered in when we're all waiting to go back to normal, the worst thing you can do is go back to normal. Hope it's a time of evaluation. It's a time of thriving for you. It's a time of realizing that life is short and it's such a gift and to maximize every aspect of this amazing thing called life. There's been some things I've hated about being sheltered in. And then there's some things I've loved about being sheltered in. I have proven to my family that I am the most dominant Uno player on the face of the earth. You step to me, I'm going to bring you down. I let them win every now and then when knowing I could win. Like, we're hardcore Uno players. We're like the plus two, plus two. You let down. The night we had Luke drawing 12 cards. Ain't no mercy for the eight-year-old. You break them early. I've enjoyed Saturdays where we go for hikes, and I've enjoyed getting back to firing up the grill because I'm not so busy running around. And, and even my life that I feel like is a life of freedom pretty much and on my own terms, I've realized, man, I had an emphasis on some things that maybe at the end of my life weren't worth emphasizing. Right. I'm going to show you some things today. I'm going to show you some things over the next month on how to maximize life. Now, let me go ahead and tell you this. Everything that I preach to you, to the best of my knowledge, I make sure it is ground in the Bible. That being said, any preacher has some certain things in their life they're just a little more passionate about. I often say that every preacher has one message, and no matter what they preach, that message comes out. I've got a buddy of mine, and he's all about healing brokenness. And I don't care what he's preaching on. It's going to go back to, man, you're broken, and God's going to heal you. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to this series. It's something that I can get up and with all of the confidence in the world say, I'm not living hypocritical today. I'm living because I believe in the importance of the dash. Christine will tell you from the time we got together, I made it clear I love life, and we're going to maximize life. <laughs> because here's the reality. Once the second date is added to your gravestone, there's no coming back and getting to do it again. Don't wait until you're at that stage. Don't wait until someone you love is at that stage before you're willing to step out and let your dash define you in a way that you want it to define you. Here's what everyone needs to know today. Those of you watching at home today, 
sitting in your PJs, laying in your bed, sitting on your back porch, drinking coffee, drinking a mimosa, drinking a Bloody Mary, eating an omelet, wherever you are today, here's what you need to know today. God created you. God loves you. Think about that. The creator of the universe, big G, the God, created you. The God loves you. And more powerfully to me, the same God who created you and the same God who loves you has a plan unique for your life. He conquered death. He rose from the grave where you and I could experience life to its fullest. Where you and I could experience life being, don't miss this, being a world changer. Being a difference maker. The Bible says in John 10, 10, I love the message version of this. It says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. God says, I came that you can experience life. Now, a lot of preachers take this and they preach what's called a prosperity gospel. God wants you to be rich and God wants you to be this and God... No, no. Here, let me. God wants you to live a life of purpose. A life of purpose is better than any amount of money. Nothing wrong with having money. But God's saying the most fulfilling thing that you can have is a life of purpose. I've met a lot of people with a lot of money who were empty inside. I've met a lot of people with a lot of toys who were empty inside. I've never met anybody in my life who was living the life they were created for and felt like they were living a life of purpose who was empty inside. Purpose fulfills us. I tell people all the time, I have more fun asleep than most people have awake. I feet hit the ground in the morning and I'm ready to go. The thing I hate more than anything is going to sleep. I despise going to bed because I'm so excited and in love with the life that I get to live, maximizing life. God wants you to live a passionate life. God wants you to live a purposeful life, one in which we make the most of our dash. And the reality is most will never live that life. We've been taught to live this life of normal. This life of going through the motions, Groundhog Day, every day is the same. You get this job and work this job and work these hours and you come home and you do this and you do that and you get in debt and you do this and you do that. And we, we were taught to live normal, but everybody's miserable, so that tells me normal's not working. Let's be weird. I see a lot of people living normal lives and the large majority of them are unfulfilled because they're not living the life they were created for. I see it especially in the day and time we live in. We think God created us for a life of safety. Nowhere in that book does it promise God will keep, God will keep you safe, but nowhere in that book does it promise a life of safety. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not promised safety when they ended up in a fiery furnace. Daniel was not promised safety when he was thrown in the lion's den. Listen, Paul was not promised safety when he was beheaded. Listen, the church all over the world today is persecuted. People meet in secret for fear of their lives. And we're afraid to gather now. We operate in fear. Most people exist. Don't miss this. It's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. Most people exist, but they don't live. 
Most people exist, but they don't live. I believe with everything that is in me, if there was ever a book that I was going to write, it would be these five chapters. I believe there's five elements to making the most of your dash, and we're going to break each one of them down over the next couple of weeks, over the next five weeks. The first one is, to make the most of your dash, you have to live passionately. You have to love completely. You have to learn from your past. You'll never make the most of the dash if you're not learning. You have to leave a legacy. Big deal, you made an impact while you were alive. What impact did you make after you were gone? And you have to leverage your influence. Live passionately. Love completely, learn from the past, leave a legacy, and leverage your influence. Today I want to talk about the first one of those. To make the dash count, you've got to live passionately. You've got to maximize life. Let me make this very clear to you. Nothing great happens without passion. The driving force behind all great art all great music, all great literature, all great drama, all great architecture, all great craftsmanship is passion. The driving force behind every great athlete is not just skill, but passion. How many of you, when you were in school, either had an athlete on your high school team or an athlete on another school's team that you knew was going to make it to the pros. Anybody? We did. We had a guy in the neighboring school who was unlike anybody I had ever seen playing football. In his sleep, he was 200 yards a game. I remember playing him. I was number 88. I was a defensive end, and I remember him literally saying, 88! coming your way this time, telling me where he was going, me squaring up, him running me over, and him scoring a touchdown. He was phenomenal. His sophomore, junior, and senior years, he was Georgia Prep Athlete of the Year, first time it had ever happened. After high school, he did nothing with football because he had all the talent in the world, but he had zero passion. Without passion to fuel him, he was simply talent. Passion is what makes things great. Passion propels athletes to break records. Passion pushes scientists to discover new cures for diseases. Passion is what gives life to people. Passion is what gets you out of bed in the morning. Passion is what we were made for. And if you want to make the most of your dash, you need to make sure that you're living life passionately. The Bible says in Mark 12, 10, I, I love how it says we're to love God. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, not some of your heart, not 90% of your heart, not 95% of your heart, 100%, that's passion. 
Love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. What it's saying is God wants all of us. He wants us passionate about loving him, passionate about serving him. The message version says this. So love the Lord God with all your passion, your prayer, your intelligence, and your energy. You want to have a relationship with God? Go all in with it, being passionate. God created everybody here with a passion. Let me me make this clear to you. Passion has nothing to do with being an extrovert or an introvert. It has to do with that feeling inside of you that is so deep, having something that makes your heart leap, something inside of you that drives you to make you want to get out of bed in the morning. What is it you're passionate about? The Bible says in Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I think that, that word keeps important to me. Because if God's telling us to keep it, that means we can lose it. It, it implies that we can lose our energy. We can lose our zeal. We can lose our passion. This is what happens in our marriages so many times. We start off and we're passionate and we're full of zeal and we're, we're smitten by the other person and, and it becomes routine. Happens in jobs with me. It's why I think I changed what I'm going to do and what I'm going to start so many times. I'm passionate about something. I start it. Over time, it gets stale to me. And i got to start the next fix. i got to shoot up with the next job, the next creative idea that I have. you got to work at keeping that. You've got to work at your marriage. You've got to work to keep your career passionate. But you've got to have passion. God created us with passion, but we allow the routine of life to, to drain us of our passion. Because here's the reality. Let me give you some news flashes this morning in case you didn't know this. Life can beat you up. Man. The problems and the pressures and the stresses of life They're passion drainers. You know what drains my passion? Going to my mailbox the first of the month. And the mortgage company wants money. The car company wants money. And the life insurance people want money. Because life insurance is important when you're me. Because, man, someone's going to kill me one day and I've got to make sure she's taken care of. And the power company wants money. And all of a sudden, the passion begins to drain Howard Truman said this. I love this. Howard Truman said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I should have put that on the screen. Let me repeat it for you. And even if you don't grasp it, say amen. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because the world needs people who have come alive. The world needs people who are passionate about life, ready to live it to the fullest. There's a great story in the Bible about some dudes who were passionate. They had a purpose together. The Bible says this about them. It was four dudes and a paralyzed buddy. So it was five of them. Some men were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. So these guys have got a friend. He's paralyzed. They pick him up on a mat. And they're like, we're going to get him to Jesus. We'll get him to Jesus. Jesus can heal him. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, 
They went up on the roof trying to get their friend to Jesus. There's so many people they can't get their friend to Jesus. Instead of doing what we would have done and turn around, they said, hey, let's get up on the roof, hold my beer. I know these jokers would have been from Canton. Maybe even Jasper. Oh, we can't get to him. We can get on that roof. They went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Fran, your sins are forgiven. Verse 24 says this, but I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, surely we have seen remarkable things today. <laughs> I, love, I love how that, leave that up there for one second, Xander. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Imagine living a life so passion-filled that at the end of the day, every day, you're saying, man, we saw remarkable things today. We thought, saw things today that we never expected to see. I milked this life for all that it was worth. I, I, I sucked this day literally dry. We've seen remarkable things today. I mean, think about it. They're getting their friend to Jesus. Verse 19 says there was a crowd. You know what most of us would have done? We tried. Man, hearts were in the right place. Not meant to be today. They saw the people. They said, man, what do we got to do? Hey, I know, let's get on the roof. Get on the roof. Get on the roof. Ah, get on the roof. Crowds listen to Jesus teach. They're so enthralled by the teachings of Jesus, they don't notice these four rednecks climbing on top of the roof, cutting a hole in the roof. That shows you what kind of teacher Jesus was. I can't preach 30 minutes without you going to pee. Jesus teaching, they got four rednecks climbing on the roof, pulling their paralyzed buddy up on the roof, cutting a hole in the roof, and no one tries to stop them because they don't notice. They're focused on Jesus. So many times our life gets so crowded with stuff, things that don't matter, that we allow the crowdedness of society, the crowd of our time to keep us from doing what we set out to do. Not these men. They didn't see it as an obstacle. They saw it as an opportunity. Well, that's good. It wasn't even in my notes. That's free today. They didn't see it as an obstacle. They saw it as an opportunity. If we're going to live a life that's passionate, we've got to do some things. The first thing we've got to do is you've got to do something drastic. Do something drastic. Verse 19, and these guys are a whole nother level. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. That's drastic. They knew the only hope for their friend was Jesus. 
They knew the only way he was ever going to walk again was Jesus. They knew the only chance their friend had of living a normal life was Jesus. And they were not willing to sit back and talk about what could have been. They weren't willing to sit back 10 years from now around the bonfire and be like, man, remember that time we tried to get him to Jesus? I wonder how his life would have been different had there not been a crowd. I wonder how his life would have been different if we, the crowd would have got out of the way and let us get there. No, they were saying, I don't know if we're going to be able to get him in front of him, but we're going to try. Amen. We're going to do something drastic. We're going to make the most of our dash. They weren't going to live their life with regrets. They weren't going to look back and say, man, we had a good try. High five. Let's go on our way. No, they knew they had to do something drastic. If you're going to live life passionately, you're going to have to make some drastic lifestyle changes. I'm not talking about altering your life a little. I'm talking about doing what is necessary to live a life that is on point. The problem is for so many of us, we've got comfortable in our discomfort. You've got comfortable going through the motions. You've got comfortable living the same groundhog routine every day. And you don't think there's something out there different. You're scared of the change, but you're miserable in the same. God, I'm full of one-liners today. Googly goo. I don't even know what that meant. Man, you've got to do something drastic. I know it's so cliche, and we've heard it a thousand times, but if you keep doing what you've been doing, you keep getting what you've been getting. I don't understand why my marriage is this way. Well, what are you doing different? I don't understand why my finances are so bad. Well, I, because you keep spending money that you don't have to buy things you don't need to impress people you don't even like. Oh, did I say that? I don't understand why, why I don't have any friends. Maybe you're not a friendly person. You keep doing what you've been doing. I'm just miserable in my job. Well, I've known you have 10 jobs now, and you've been miserable every one. Maybe it's not the job's problem, it's your problem. Amen. You keep doing what you've been doing, you keep getting what you've been getting. If you want to make the most of the dash, you do something drastic. I want to challenge you to ask yourself a drastic question today. I want you to examine some things in your life. And here's the question. If you found out today you had 30 days to live, let's scratch that. Because with 30 days to live, everybody's answer is, I'm going to quit doing this and I'm going to go do, spend all my time on the beach. It's not realistic. If you found out you had 10 years to live, now in those 10 years, you still got to provide. You still got to get up every day. You got to live. You're going to live a great life for 10 years, but on 10 year anniversary, you're boom, you're dead. What would you do with the next 10 years? Would you continue to live the life you're living today? Would the things that are important to you today continue to be important? If not, you need to make some changes. You have to do something drastic. Someone said, well, what about you? If you, if you had 10 years to live, would, would you still? Yeah, I love my family. 
Would you still do what you do for a living? Yeah, man, I love it. I love creating community for people. I ask myself this question all the time. If I had 10 years to live, if I had 10 years to live, I'd probably get on steroids because I would like to be buff for once in my life and I'm going to die in 10 years anyway, it wouldn't matter. But other than that, I'd keep everything about the same. Maybe I'll order some steroids today where I'm not a hypocrite. It's a, it's a game-changing question. It eliminates things that don't matter. For all the feds watching today, I'm not going to order steroids. I'm joking. <laughs> Joke, I have a bad sense of humor. Don't come bust in my door. I just got done watching Waco. I know how y'all work. Listen, do something drastic. You know something else? If we're going to live passionately, we've got to do We've got to expect the unexpected. You've got to expect the unexpected. Newsflash for you, baby. You don't get to... Li- you want to make God laugh? Lay out your plans to him. You can have the best plan in the world. Something's going to happen. And that's what happens with so many of us losing our passion. We had a plan for our life. We had a plan for our marriage. We had a plan for our finances. We had a plan for our career. And something came along unexpected and changed that, and we allowed it to drain our passion. Unexpected things are going to happen We prioritize our life based on what we deem is important, our plan. We come up with our plan, but this amazing thing happened. Life interrupts you. Life has a way of throwing you curveballs. There will always be things that come into your life. So you can allow the unexpected to get you angry. You can allow the unexpected to cause you to give up. You can allow the unexpected to cause it to drain you, or you can go into it expecting the unexpected. We try to control everything. Then we wonder why our schedule is so packed, because we're trying to control every detail of every little thing instead of letting God be God. Control freaks. Gary Lamb, king of that. Will drain you of that passionate living. These dudes had a plan. We're going to pick our boy up. Jesus is in town. Jesus can heal him. We're getting him to Jesus. It's obvious they never thought that they would get there and there'd be a crowd. It's obvious they never thought we might not be able to get him to Jesus. But it's also obvious they expected the unexpected because they didn't miss a beat when they couldn't do it. The crowd's thick. The crowd's crowded. We can't get through. The Bible says when Jesus saw their fate, don't miss this, he said, your sins are forgiven. They came up with a plan. They got up on the roof. They lowered the man. Isn't it telling that Jesus didn't heal the man because of the man's faith? He says when he saw their faith, when he saw these men, who were willing to live life passionately, and they were willing to do something drastic, and they, and they were willing to expect the unexpected and come up with a second plan. Listen, here's the deal. There's been nothing in the last five weeks at this church that went as we expected it to go. We never expected for suddenly something that I have done for 20-something years to be told we can't do it. We could have curled up in a ball and gave up, shut the doors and never started again. And I've already heard of four churches that have said, man, we're done, we're not going to start back. Heartbreaking. Or we do what we can do. We, 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 we did what we, we, we met here one week and showed it on the phone. Then we were going to move to the shuffle in because it was a smaller environment. 
We called the owner of the shuffle and said, hey, man, can we broadcast the services in the bar? It'd be smaller, it's got lights, it's got a sound system, and we'll, we'll, we'll do church from the bar, which I kind of thought was cool. Then my guy said, well, we got a building next door that's the same size as the bar, and we can have it all the time. I was like, oh, yeah, makes sense. We went over there, and listen, for $230, that's what it cost us, $230, we transformed that entire room with a lot of work, a lot of duct tape, a lot of chicken wire, a lot of redneck innovation. And we were able to put a service on it. We did it the first week over there. And the second week, we totally changed how we did it the first week. And the third week, we totally changed how we did it the second week. This would have been the fourth week, and we moved back over here. We set up over there. I remember asking David, how long do you think we're going to have to do this? I said, man, through Mother's Day at least. I was watching the governor's speech, and he said, churches can meet. He wasn't done with his speech. And I was on the Facebook page. We're meeting. I already had the guidelines in place. I'd already thought through them because I didn't know what was going to come. You've got to expect the unexpected. And because of that, think about the influence our church has gained. How many more people are seeing the services now as a result of just expecting the unexpected? Right. <laughs> Man, you've got to expect the unexpected. I get that sometimes life comes along and it throws you a curveball. You expect the unexpected. I could t tell you story after story after story of how things didn't go as I planned them to go. Let's get outside the church. Seven weeks ago, my wife was sitting in the living room and we looked at each other. I, I can remember it as clear as day. I looked at her and said, man, we are in the best financial position we have ever been in our life. I said, we have money in the bank. And we're coming up on April from the, first, the last weekend in March to the first weekend in May. That was six weeks. Every weekend I had an event. Last weekend in March I had an 80s party. First weekend in um, April I had a barbecue festival in Carsville. Second week in March I had wrestling. Third, or April, third week in April I had MMA we were starting here. Yesterday the last in... Um, Saturday was supposed to be barbecue and brews Canton. Next week was supposed to be a two-day wrestling tournament where we were trying to bring 15,000 people in. 15,000 people. I lied to you just there. 1,500 people into this building over two nights to watch a wrestling show. And we're like, man, we're going to be gold. We were talking about paying off cars, putting down payments down on homes. And literally the week before, everything gets shut down. And you go from, man, we're in the best financial position we've ever been in our life to being like, huh, how long can that money last? Can we still eat in August? Can we get to September where I can come up with another idea? You expect the unexpected. You say, what have you done? Here's what we've done. Whatever we can do. I've worked in barbecue trucks. I've done funerals. She's worked every day for friends. And now I have an idea that's been on the back burner for about two years. I'm getting ready to pull the trigger on, looking for a building to do it right now. Why? Because you've got to expect the unexpected. Some of you, when the unexpected comes along, it instantly shuts you down and you're done. You're defined. Your spouse walks out on you and you're done. You go into a shell. That's horrible. I'm not trying to minimize it, but man, you still have life to live. I remember clear as day when I lost everything at 33 years of age, 11 years ago, sitting in a basement. And I remember the second day it happened, I was like, I'm 33 years old. This will not define me. I'm 33 years old. I'll be damned if I'm going to be done because of this. 
It was unexpected, even though it was my own fault. But it wasn't going to define me. Life is too precious. The last 11 years I've lived have been the greatest 11 years of my life. The last six years have been the greatest six years of my life. Why? Because you make the most of life and you expect the unexpected. It looked like a problem to these men. It was an obstacle, but it became an opportunity. An opportunity that we're preaching. Had they just got through the crowd and Jesus healed them, I don't know that we'd be talking about them today. These boys jumped up on the roof. I don't know if you remember this. I preached on this sermon about four years ago. I preached on a different sermon, but this story. And it just happened to be when I preached on it, they were repairing the roof. So the whole time I was preaching on it, the roof, people were up on the roof knocking around and busting through and there was sheetrock falling in. It was just a great sermon illustration. So now God's got a sense of humor. But you got to expect the unexpected. Hey, you know the other thing? And this is a missing thing right here. This is what separates us as Christ followers as we're seizing life from those who are not Christ followers. You've got to create God's space. You've got to create God's space. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof. They lowered him on the mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. They made space in the crowd. They made space in the noise. They made space in the cluster. They made space in the busyness. They made space in the middle of work. They made space in the middle of raising a family. They missed space in the middle of school. They made space and they made time for Jesus. Right here in the middle of the crowd, they knew that if they wanted their friend to experience life, of a, the normal life of walking around and being able to walk, they better make space for Jesus. I'm telling you today, you better find time for God in the midst of the craziness. Christine and I are the kings and the queens of win-then thinking. When this happens, then we'll do this. She calls me out all the time about it. I, when, when I just get through this stage, I'll have more time. Then I won't be on my phone so much, and I'll have more time for this. Win-then. I'm telling you, in the middle of the win, the then better be now for God. <laughs> when I'm not so busy, I'll take care of this. When I'm not so busy, I'll find time to eat right and work out. Funny thing is, I ain't been real busy the last four or five weeks, and I've ate worse than I've ever ate and not worked out at all. I didn't have a time problem. I had a discipline problem. I ain't going to lie to you today. Ladies, don't get all too excited, but I don't even get my pants buttoned right now because they wouldn't button this morning. <laughs> Made sure the shirt was a little bit longer. They would button, but I didn't feel like I'd be able to breathe if they were buttoned. That enlightened me that I probably need to quit eating chocolate chip cookies literally every night. During this quarantine in, I've discovered Culver's. Has anybody ever had Culver's? God created those hamburgers himself. And he created those milkshakes this is the most amazing thing I've ever had in my life, and there's nothing healthy about it at all. It's amazing. We drive to Jasper. Who goes to Jasper for anything? To get a burger? You say, there's one hickory flat. I don't go to hickory flat. I go to Jasper. I fit in better there. But man, the wind, then thinking. Then we come to the realization, this is just our life. This is it. If we're going to make time for anything, we just got to make time for it now. 
I'm telling you, if you're going to get through this time, if you're going to get through any time and you're going to live the life that you were created to be, you better be making time for God. You better be making time for personal worship. If the only God you get is on Sunday morning here at Action Church, you're starving yourself. I could be the best preacher in America, and if it's all you get, you eat once a week, you're in bad shape. You need to make time. The Bible says in Mark 1, 35, this is about Jesus here. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus knew some important lessons in the midst of being the Savior, in the midst of being the Messiah, he knew he needed to make some time for himself. He knew he needed some one-on-one time with the Father. One of the greatest things you can do is get up in the morning and start in this book. Turn on some worship music. I don't care if it's five minutes. I don't care if it's ten minutes. I don't care if it's just 20 minutes. You make time for the things of God. You seek out God in prayer. You seek out God's will in your actions. You make time in the midst of I wonder how different we would be in the midst of all of the craziness. Corona's going to kill you. Corona's not going to kill you. Open up the country. Don't open up the country. If we just stopped, we breathed. We turned off Facebook. We turned off Twitter. We got off Instagram. We got off Snapchat. We got off the Internet. We quit watching the news. And we just made a little bit of time every day for some God time. Stand close, preacher. Preaching to myself right now. Feel the old conviction coming in. You know it's good preaching, David, when you convict yourself. Man. The Bible says this in Proverbs 10, 27. Don't miss this. I don't have time to do that, Gary. You got time for Netflix. You got time to spend an hour outside every day smoking. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You got time to watch the news? Bible says reverence for God adds hours to each day. You need more time to your day, make time for God. You say, is he going to give me 25 hours? I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It just works that way. Everything just falls into place a little bit more. I think what it is is when I make time for God, I'm walking in faith instead of fear. So all that time I spend in fear is gone. And all of a sudden, I suddenly have more time. Called a buddy of mine that opens, owns a gym. I said, I need to start coming to the gym. My gym's not opening. The gym's 30 minutes away. I can't wait for that 30 minutes to be praise music and time with God. Making the time for what's important. I've been tense lately. Tense. It's because I'm not creating God's space. The person who wants to make the most of his dash is on the back burner right now, and I know for me of these steps, it's because I'm not creating God's space. I'm reading my Bible every day, but I'm just reading it out of obligation instead of passion. I challenge you this week. Take five minutes. I don't want to overwhelm you. Take five minutes. Let's keep it easy. Go to the Proverbs. Whatever day of the month it is, read that proverb. Just read it. Spend 60 seconds praying. Listen to one worship song. See if it doesn't change your day. Create God's space. The last thing, and we're done. We're going to keep a constant reminder. We're going to keep a constant reminder. 
Because as life happens, your passion is going to start to wane. You need a reminder of how good God is. Look what he told this man. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat. Why didn't you just leave the mat there? Uh-uh. He said, take your mat and go home. Because here's what he knew was going to happen to this man. Life was going to happen. There would come a day, as, as crazy as it seems, that the man would begin to go through the motions and forget that at one time in his life he couldn't walk. He said, how could that happen? Does it not happen with us? We forgot what God's done for us. He saved our wretched souls from a burning hell. And we get over it. We're worried about COVID and God saved us from hell. Holy smokes. We just forget sometimes. He said, take the mat home. Because when you start to forget, I want you to see the mat in the closet. I want you to see the mat hanging over the fireplace. I want you to see the mat in the corner. And I want you to remember, live life for all it's worth because I gave you a second chance at life. We need a constant reminder of the goodness of God. I never, people tell me, you got to forget the battle. I never want to forget losing everything. I don't want to live there. I don't want to dwell there. But I want to remember always where God brought me. This man never needed that mat again. But Jesus said, take it home with you. Let it be a reminder every day of what I've done. Because if you forget the past, you'll repeat the past. We're talking about that in a few weeks. I love how this ends, and I'm done. Immediately. Immediately. That word immediately in the original language means immediately. Had someone message me this week that said, really enjoyed your sermons online the last couple of weeks. I would like to see you break down the original languages a little bit more. Well, they gave us an English Bible. I don't need to break them down, but let me break it down for you in case you're watching today, sir. Immediately means immediately. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been laying on. He did what God told him. He took that reminder. And he went home praising God. That word immediately is important because some of you need to start living today immediately. Right. Gary, as soon as that, no! Today. But you don't know. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. You're responsible for you, not your spouse, not your kids, not your coworkers. If everyone around you is miserable and grumpy, you're responsible for yourself. You're coming through the speakers. Feels like immediately I'm going to start leading worship. Man, aren't we blessed to have those jokers? Now, in a more charismatic church, they always end the service and they get the organ player out there. And he starts playing behind the preacher. Maybe we can start doing that with Phil strumming behind me. But I'm telling you today, immediately... Immediately, some of you need to change. You've got the dash. And you never know when that second date's coming. I've done more funerals in the last month 
than I've done probably in the last two years. People are dying. But people have always been dying. I, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom, but can I, can I, can I tell you something today? You're going to die one day. If the Lord tarries, you're going to die. Mortality rate is 100%. Can't avoid it, can't stop it. Can't go over it, can't go under it, can't go around it. Only can go through it. When that time comes and you look back on your dash, what's your dash going to say? As for me, I wanted to say he lived passionately. I don't, it's never been my concern whether people thought I was a good preacher, a good pastor, even a good person. I can't control what people think about me. But even those who disagree with me, I want them to be like, oh, you know one thing about that joker? He lived passionately. He lived by his own rules under God's authority. One shot at life. Are you going to make the most of it? Start by living passionately. So what are we going to do? We're going to do something drastic. What change do you need to make? As you make that change, expect the unexpected. It's kind of like the day, we were doing a Dave Ramsey class here. I found it funny that I think we were in week four and everybody lost their income. I blame David and Sierra for the entire country <laughs> dealing with COVID. It's their fault. That's David Westrick at no, just kidding. Just kidding. It's going to give you his phone number. Is no. Expect the unexpected. Make God's space. Keep a constant reminder. Maybe you're doing three of these. I'm going to be honest with you because I always want to be honest with you. I'm not doing number three real good. Convicted about it right now. I'm making a commitment to you that I'm going to work on that one. We do one and two really good in the Lamb House, and I think we do number four really good. I am not doing good at number three. Amen. I want the most of the dash. That's changing immediately. I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. I'm telling you today, I will find time to make God's space. So my challenge to you is, do you want the most of the dash? Let's pray.